Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 22 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. I am Kareem Farah, co-founder and CEO of the Modern Classrooms Project, and I am here with co-host Kate. Kate, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Not bad. Not bad. Um, it's the beginning new of the year. new year. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's kind of exciting and thrilling. We're incredibly busy. I know how busy you are. I certainly know how busy I've been. So I'm kind of excited to sort of dig in on what is to come and some of the things we're hearing from educators and district leaders. So um, today's episode is really going to be about finding the right time to innovate. Kate and I have been interacting with stakeholders, teachers, parents, school and district leaders, and just answering a lot of questions around when do you roll this model out? How do you learn it? Um, This is a pressing question, especially given the fact that we're literally at the midpoint of the school year. So Kate, why don't we just dig in and and just chat a little bit about what we've been hearing from teachers and school leaders as they've returned back from break. In your work with the teachers, what are some of the sort of positives and sort of stressors that you're hearing from educators at the moment? I think that everyone is happy that 2020 is behind us from just a a mental outlook, but also recognizing that the challenges that were brought on um, when COVID-19 hit the United States and we were kind of forced into emergency remote teaching, many of us educators, it's been 10 months and educators now have a wealth of experience. They are, you know, I'm seeing really professional setups from our teachers. They've got the ring light. They have, you know, two monitors going and they really know how to navigate it. They're, they're comfortable with this, I should say more comfortable um, than they were several months ago. Um, So I, I have seen that people are just very grateful that it is a new year and they have some experience with this odd reality that we find ourselves in kind of under their belts a bit. Um, But I do, and I'm sure you're sensing it too, are the rumblings of what's to come. And whether that is my district is returning to in-person or my district is transitioning to hybrid because of a vaccine or just looking ahead to next school year. I think people are, I, I think people are feeling cautiously hopeful um, and, and wondering, wondering what's coming next and how we can redefine. I wouldn't say go back to normal. We, we can't go back to normal after this, nor do we want to. Um, but how can we make a new normal um, that's 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 more equitable and that can incorporate what we've what we've really learned over these last ten months as educators? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I definitely have have just seen like sort of a renewed sense of confidence from many educators who just don't you know it doesn't feel as new and as scary and as intimidating. But that balance is confusing because naturally there's new discussions about reopening. Um, frankly, the, the virus is just spreading very fast in a lot of communities. So it's this sort of weird limbo of like, I think I feel better than I did in November, yeah, but don't necessarily feel great and don't have a clear understanding of what's about to happen. So I think everyone is a little bit on edge. Teachers are certainly overwhelmed. I think for the first time, a good number of teachers are like, okay, I think I'm, I, le- I at least know what my game plan is for the time being. Um, but I think the core question around what things look like moving forward is a confusing one. And, you know, I, I spend a lot of time chatting with school and district leaders as well. And I think one thing that's difficult for school and district leaders is, you know, normally a school and district leader is like balancing planning for next year 
with like closing out the current year, you know, budgets get set. And like, there's a lot of work that gets done for planning school year 21, 22, in this case, around this time. But it's really hard to focus on that. And I think school and district leaders are, are both like wrestling with what they can even plan, but also just trying to make it through the moment and figure out what the next steps are immediately. So I, I have definitely found that school and district leaders are certainly quite stressed at just trying to, trying to juggle all these different challenges at once. But I think there's a general sense that there is some sort of light at the end of the tunnel, yeah, which is exciting yeah, um, and relieving to hear in teachers and, and school leaders as well. I completely echo that. I um, just I thought it was interesting. I don't know if anyone else caught it, but the, the New York Times had a piece and literally the headline was 13,000 school districts, 13,000 approaches to teaching during COVID. Um, and they kind of did a survey of, of many of public school responses to this. And I think one of the things that it, it lifted up is just the resilience and flexibility that our country's educators have had and how people are, you know, to your point about kind of being hopeful about next school year, but also being in this very hard position, hard position to plan for. Right. And, you know, one thing that I found particularly cool is teachers are also expressing a certain degree of confidence with technology, which I think to some degree was expected. But I think when you hear it in action, it's very cool to see, you know, before the pandemic, sort of being a tech savvy teacher in some ways was a choice in many communities and wasn't necessarily just like a standard element of a teacher toolkit. And that has changed so radically. So to just hear the comfortability of educators when they talk about their learning management system or even building instructional videos or the notion of sort of delivering feedback in the digital space, even though folks are obviously sort of dreaming and longing for the time when they can take that back into the in-person setting, it's good to see educators feeling like they have a pretty good grip of those tools because those tools have unbelievable power when used leanly and correctly in the in-person space, which is really, really exciting. So I'm definitely seeing that as well. Absolutely. You know, one question that I know I'm getting a lot, and I'm imagining you're getting a little bit too, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, is when is the best time to learn the model? Um, this is a question that comes up quite frequently around this time of the year because it's in some ways sort of a weird time to like digest really innovative practices. You know, sort of folks are used to doing that kind of gearing up to the school year, but not necessarily like right in the middle. So I was just curious around sort of how you think about when the best time to learn this model is. Um, you know, how do you see that when you support educators? It's a great question. I actually, I got that question from an educator today. I was speaking with the superintendent and she was talking about how some of her teachers had expressed that same question. And some of them had expressed a strong preference actually for jumping in right now and wanting to enroll in the virtual mentorship program and saying, you know, I want to get up and rolling and try out elements of blended self-paced mastery-based instruction this year. Um, while you know, there are other teachers. And I think, I think I'm, I probably would have had mixed feelings at the time. Um, as it happened, I learned the model in the summer, really. And that was, that was good for a number of reasons. I think it, it allowed me time to you know recover from the previous school year. I kind of think that I was a teacher where I very much had to almost let go of my kids a little bit. I had to, I had to kind of, I had to kind of grieve them a bit because I missed them. Um, you have to give yourself the space that, you know, these, 
these young adults, in my case, I was a high school teacher, they're not in my life every day. And I'm developing a new normal for my June and July. I think I also had to just rest myself before I could I could wrap my brain around anything new, frankly. I, I was a teacher where I needed to, I needed to sit, I needed to, I needed to sit at a beach or, at, you know, it's, I needed to breathe. I needed to really recover and not think about my classroom for a bit. But I would hit that point in, you know, July where I was ready to go again. And summer for me was ideal. And I think it's ideal for a number of educators because it gives you that opportunity to, to you know, start fresh and to really rethink and the time to plan. It gave me unlimited time to collaborate with colleagues. I think that we do our best work as teachers when we can collaborate and kids really benefit. And knowing that you know, uh, my colleague Matt and I, we could talk about our social studies modern classroom you know, we could talk about it for an hour and we, we didn't have the constraint, the constraints of the, the school bell or the, you know, the, our lunch period at, or after a long day of teaching. Um, we could have a lot of really important brainstorming sessions and thinking through things in the class or in the summer that we wouldn't have had in the school year. I also think that just the natural starting with a new course, new students, the beginning of the school year, laying out routines, having students contribute to the routines and the culture of the classroom. Um, that's, that's also really powerful. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I think what you shared is, is in line with what I hear. And it speaks to this idea that, I mean, ultimately, you should learn the model when you want to learn the model. Like, I mean, nothing's going to beat that. There's plenty of examples of folks who learn at mid-year and implement stunningly and then get all this intel basically on how they can make slight adjustments and then launch in the following year. And then there's plenty of examples of folks that say like, I'm so glad I learned this over the summer. I could immerse myself in it. I could really dig deep. I didn't feel like I was rushing. So I think there's a lot of interesting balances. You know, when I partner with schools and districts and when we bring in our modern classrooms team and you lead you know, sessions with them, one of the things that I often do is I, I go into the recruitment phase, right? Because if a school or district wants to partner with us, we don't train teachers who don't want to be trained. So I present to the teachers, and this is something that I know you do as well, and they tell us whether they want to opt in, and then they also tell us when. And I'm seeing sort of a 75% split, where 75% of educators are saying, I'd like to do this this summer. And part of that, I think, is because the moment is just so overwhelming that they're like, this is cool, but it really is. It really is. I th- and I think there's there's a hope, um, you know, th- that that shows our hope of returning to physical schools and the constraints of social distancing in our classrooms being relaxed. Um, I think I absolutely agree. I think that's part of it. Absolutely. And then there's a crew. I mean, it's about one in four teachers that will say, "I'm ready to learn this right now." Yep. <laughs> you know, I think part of that is just because people get really pumped about it and want to learn it. But I think the other part of it is a desire to basically tighten up what they're already doing. So there's a number of educators who see our model and say, oh, I think I do a lot of those things. I just haven't actually put it into one living and breathing framework. And this gives that blueprint. And if you're that teacher, you know, the making the transition to the modern classroom project structure actually isn't all that challenging. But instead, just taking the time to really align 
what you're doing now with some of the core principles that we believe in and kind of reinforce that. So, you know, I think you see an interesting balance. Um, and again, I think it is it, 100% is contingent on where teachers are at mentally um, and what their skill set is at the moment sort of with some of these innovative practices. I mean, if you've already basically eliminated lectures from your classroom, um, whether through instructional videos or through another model, uh, you know, you're basically in a position where you feel pretty comfortable to ease into the structure. Yeah. Um, but if this is brand new and cool and inspiring, I think it's reasonable to say, hey, you know what, I'd, let, I'd rather wait um, until the summer before I can dive into this fully. I'm curious what, when you do encounter teachers who want to jump in right now, who are so eager to learn and, you know, want to try this school year, um, how do you suggest they approach it? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, the first thing I tell them is that you shouldn't use this year as your your sort of benchmark for what the model actually looks like, because you're kind of competing at a disadvantage in some ways, right? You're trying to do something as you go, roll it out mid-year when kids are used to other types of norms and structures. So don't like judge your implementation of the model when you start to implement it mid-year, especially if you're doing that in sort of a third or fourth quarter rollout. So what I tell folks is, Absolutely. Dive in. Treat it as a pilot year. right? Treat it as an opportunity to implement the practices and learn from it with the knowledge that you're going to gather all that information and use that to tweak over the summer so that when August, September comes around, you're actually doing a full launch then. And I think that really empowers educators to take the perspective of this is my time to test some cool and innovative things right now and try elements of this model. Because we always talk about customization, right? Like teachers need to make this model their own. Well, you're going to just be way better at making it your own if you have some intel from sort of third and fourth quarter to say, you know what, when I rolled my pacing tracker publicly, it worked great. Or when I rolled it out publicly, it didn't jive well for me. I'd actually prefer to do a personal tracker. Or, you know, I tried to build my instructional videos with this type of guided notes, but kids needed more structure. So I created this structure. I think that point about notes especially is really important because I've often found that to be where teachers will get feedback from students and then tweak how they do it, whether whether that's the amount of notes that students are expected to take or the format of the notes, um, how much guidance is there for them, and just really age-appropriate strategies around that. You know, notes in a third-grade classroom might not need check for understanding questions also to be popping up in the video. Perhaps that is not developmentally appropriate for where your group of students, you know, where they are. And those are the type of things that you're going to learn when you pilot. And I I like that idea of you using your learners, especially around these points of these more specific elements of notes, of check for understanding questions, of the length of class practice or mastery checks. Students can give us really great feedback um, mid-year. And, you know, there's real value in articulating the idea that you're piloting this with your students to them, right? Because, I mean, if you are rolling it out mid-year, you can't really, like, just casually ease into it and pretend like the kids aren't going to figure out, right? If you've been, <laughs> you've been delivering <laughs> lessons at the front of the room and you're like, hey, watch this video. So really going in there and saying, hey, you know, we've been doing teaching and learning this way for a while. We're going to try this. And at the end of this, I'm really excited to hear what you all think. What are the ways that you found it valuable? What are the ways you found it challenging and so on and so forth? That's just great information, invaluable information. And, you know, the reason why that can be powerful is 
sometimes it is frustrating when you go through a summer planning experience, you launch something, and then you realize quickly that, ooh, there's something I want to tweak. And you sort of feel like, I wish I had done that before I dug into the planning. So you can sort of fill in some gaps and, and understanding on the teacher end by piloting elements of it or doing full units of it now. Um, but I always just really tell folks to put an asterisk because we are all habitual creatures. So if students are used to one methodology of teaching and learning, you're sort of shattering those norms. Um, and it can take some time, especially if for the last six months they've been doing something a certain way. If we suddenly say, hey, FYI, we're no longer doing it that way, you know, expect more pushback than if it was rolled out at the beginning of the year or expect, you know, more confusion, right? Don't expect kids to just like suddenly pick it up quite easily. I think we can all sort of remember, you know, what it's like as a, as a student to be going to your first day of school. And there's like a there's like a freshness to the moment that I think you're inherently eager to digest new things. I have a new teacher, I have new colleagues or new students that I'm, I'm in the same class with. Like there might be new electives, there might be new like sports. So if there's a new way of teaching and learning, you're kind of like, oh, cool, let's try it. But if you're in, you know, April and you're like, hey, teacher, why are you switching up on us now? Right? Don't be surprised to get that reaction. That's okay. And that's why it's important to frame it as an opportunity to just innovate and try something new. And that response might be even greater. That response of, hey, I don't like this. This is new. Um, that response might be greater from, from certain students who have, you know, who have learning disabilities or who have suffered trauma or have, you know, some trouble self-regulating. Um, so I think it's, you know, just to anticipate that, especially if it comes mid-year, that change can, that change can be tough, um, as well as, as really exciting for, for your learners to be in on piloting something with you, um, giving you feedback on how it's going. Kareem, I really liked your point about understanding that absolutely, if you want to jump in mid-year, by all means, you know, do that and learn from that, grow from it. And it can provide really helpful data for when you might sit down a little, a little closer over the summer and refine things. I think, but not taking, not taking this year as the way it will always be. I think that's really important, especially around, especially this unique school year. This has been extremely difficult. And we, you know, I kind of a quick anecdote I'll share just, you know, at modern classrooms, we know that we were doing, we were Teach, we, we were teaching blended learning, you know, self-pacing, mastery-based instruction. We were doing this before this school year, of course, before March of 2020. Um, and I, I thought of this so much as an in-person model of teaching that I remember, because when I thought about teaching with the modern classrooms framework, how I thought about it is I, I didn't think about computers. I thought about it as me with my kids one-on-one -on -one or in small groups. And seeing mastery checks and saying, "Oh no, nope, let's review this or let's let me quick reteach this." That I remember walking into you know, our our school building, and an administrator said something to me about, "Oh, I bet you know." And it was it was March of 2020, and you know, kind of that infamous Friday where we would not be coming back into the building the next Monday. And he said something to me about, "Oh, I bet I bet modern classrooms is going to get really busy right now." And it honestly took me a second to understand what he was saying, and I thought like. Oh yeah, of course. Like the instructional video component in the self, yeah, de definitely. 
But for me, modern classrooms in this framework was so much just that one-on-one time with my students. Um, And I think that to educators who have piloted this year, who have jumped in in this very unusual school year, whether you're doing the school year completely remote or whether, you know, you have to, you're in person, but you need to practice social distancing. You know, I would say that if you can do it now, you have been forged in fire and it's, it's going to get better and there will be benefits of it um, when, when those constraints are taken away that will make this year even more of an outlier. Yeah, it's spot on. And, you know, the misconception about the model continues to be an interesting one um, because I totally agree, right? It took me a minute to draw the connection because at first I was like, you can't do a great in-person model great remotely. This is going to be really challenging. And then I kind of pieced together that, you know, through learning the model, you also learn incredibly valuable strategies that allow you to handle the moment effectively. Obviously, the instructional video piece, but also that notion of asynchronous versus synchronous instruction and how that sort of layers on top of self-paced learning made perfect sense. But it points again to this notion that you know, don't make a judgment on your own implementation of something until the conditions make sense. And currently, the conditions don't really make all that much sense, which I think is critical. You know, the other thing it reminds me of is this model is about tinkering. Like I've never met an implementer who did the first unit and was like, all right, this is perfect. Like, (laughs) I've never met a teacher that's done that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So but it's amazing how it takes a unit two units, three units, just to find your general stride. And then once you find your general stride, then you're even going to tinker from there, how to switch up instructional videos, how to add in little elements of cool collaboration opportunities, how to get you know students to feel empowered to help their peers, all that good stuff. But just like the run of the mill, like it's a normal modern classroom day, you walk in there, kids pick up where they left off, like that still takes a couple of units to adjust to. Um, so that's something folks should definitely keep in mind as well. You know, one thing, I often also talk to folks about is how can people ease into the model? So I mean, to clarify what this question is, is, you know, I'm often chatting with teachers or school leaders and they say, look, like what happens if I'm learning it or I go through your virtual mentorship program and I'm just not quite ready to do all three parts, you know, like how do you think, you know, I can digest it in a slower way and, and ease into it? So have you ever heard questions like that and sort of what, do you say in response to a question like that? I'm curious. It's a really good question. I think in the case of early grades, jumping in or trying one subject. So um, we are a fourth grade classroom and we are going to do it in math. Um, I think that, that that can be a nice a nice way to pilot or saying, I'm, you know, I might be a secondary teacher. I'm a high school social studies teacher, and I'm going to do my last unit of the school year this way. I'm going to try it. I think those can be really powerful learning experiences, again, for you as the teacher, to just to draw on your own reflections, but to also get your observations uh, about what, what you think is going well and what could be improved for students, but also get their thoughts too. I would also say in terms of if you wanted to do kind of more of an element of the instructional model. If you wanted to, so we're looking, if we, if we think of modern classrooms, you know, we look at those, those tenets of blended learning, self-pacing and mastery-based grading. I ought to me, I think the natural point to start would be try creating an instructional video 
And if you're not ready to do that, you know, to create several, maybe dipping your toe in is creating an instructional video that your students will use as homework or as some sort of supplemental activity, a resource, kind of a reviewing content, for example. One thing that worked really well for me when I was a modern classroom teacher, when I had made this shift, my entire course was taught in this framework, but I think it could be applicable to teachers who want to try would be to prepare students for any type of final exam, trying this and that it would be give your students a diagnostic, uh, you know, so a diagnostic of what this final is, and then assess, you know, kind of chunk your diagnostic into, you know, the portions, maybe they are units of the actual school year, maybe they are, you know, five skill acquisition areas, you know, however, however you can break that down and identify where students did well and where they really need to improve. And creating a review instructional video or series of them around those units or around those skill acquisitional areas that you're identifying in that diagnostic and assigning students to do, you know, you know, you're you're going to sit down with so and so, all right, um, this student, I need you to review units 3, units 5 and unit 6. While another student's plan might look different, they need to review the beginning one, two, and three. I think that can be a way to see, not only are you building instructional videos, but you're starting to see the beauty of the personalized learning through self-pacing. That might be um, just kind of a, a a very practical way to try. What what do you think? What do you, when you talk to teachers and they, they, they express, you know, I, I can't do it all right now. It's, you know been a crazy year, but I, I want to try some things. What do you suggest? Well, first of all, I remember first watching you do that model for reviewing for an exam. I thought it was brilliant. So I vividly remember seeing the students actually engage in that activity. And I thought it was a really powerful way to teach them. I'll tell you one thing. My final scores were a lot better that year that I did that, you know, when I started doing that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and, you know, one thing I tell folks, and it kind of, it makes me think back to what may have been the first piece I wrote for Edutopia was titled the, the bottleneck, you know, of every classroom. And it was in reference to lecture and this idea that like, you know, in a traditional sense of a bottleneck where sort of everything's kind of backed up like a grocery line that's way too long, all because of this sort of live delivery of information at the beginning of class. So when folks ask me that question, I always tell them, look, if your end game is to do the full model, the first thing you have to tackle is to stop delivering information at the front of the room live. That is critical to learning. You have to figure out a way to stop doing that every day as part of the normal course of action. So I always tell folks, I mean, you know, the simplest thing to do is just start by building instructional videos. And it's okay if kids aren't self-paced. Just when kids come in, they actually watch an instructional video instead of listening to you at the front of the room. And then you're just walking around, checking in and doing targeted support. You start to see some kids finish the instructional video faster than others. You know, you start to help kids in, a, in kind of a staggered way and you get a feel for that. So, and the other thing you can do in that case, if you're worried about sort of easing in is, you know, maybe mix in some of your own instructional videos and some externally made, right? So you're not sort of overwhelmed with building instructional videos and keeping up with that pace. But instead, just saying, hey, like, my goal for this unit is to not be at the front of the room sort of lecturing, um, you know, for every lesson. I usually tell folks to start there. And once they're able to do that, I say, okay, if you're there and you're still looking to do an ease in, well, now just do a little bit of flexible pacing. Like, say, hey, you need to get these two lessons done by tomorrow at the end of class. 
right? Like go and just see what happens, right? And start to get a feel for what variable pacing can feel like. What does it mean when some kids move ahead and behind? How divergent are kids going to be? Like are kids going to finish the two lessons at the end of one class period? Or is it going to generally be the right pacing? And then you can start just extending the self-pacing out, right? Now suddenly kids are working on, you know, a week's worth of lessons. So you start on Monday and you end on Friday and then you do two weeks and you start to ease in the self-pacing piece. And then you can kind of layer in at that point, whenever you're frankly ready, this idea of mastery-based script, right? That there's some sort of assessment, a formative or, you know, a little bit of a mastery check at the end of each lesson that kids show that they've mastered the skill. And now you're actually proactively telling kids you need to stay and keep working on this while other kids move forward. And that kind of breaks that up in a way where at the very least, let's say you only get to the adult lecture, right? You have actually gotten through one of the biggest challenges of trying to do the full implementation. So you will feel ready and comfortable, you know, launching in full. I don't necessarily think it's an ideal way to do the model because the challenge of doing that while beneficial is, you don't see the real returns of the model until you do all three parts, right? It's like if you don't lecture but kids are still working at their a fixed pace and aren't taking mastery checks, you can start to wonder like, so why did I do this other than the fact that I'm a little less tired, um, you know, lecturing a bunch of times a day. So what I tell folks is if you are going to ease into it, understand that, you know, you're not actually deriving the full benefits until you make it to part three basically. Um, Otherwise, you're just seeing elements, but you're not seeing the full picture. It's, I really, I think that's such an interesting point. I love how you say you're not seeing the full benefits until you make it to part three being, you know, being mastery-based grading. Because when I explain, when I was explaining the shift I was making in my classroom years ago, I, I would start with mastery. I would start with, I am sensing, you know, yeah. And they, you know, you're a good teacher. What are you doing? You're blowing things up. This is crazy. You're going through so much work. And it was like, well, but I was sensing and I, I was more than sensing. I knew I had the data. My kids were not mastering content. We were moving on. Everyone was moving on to the next lesson because it was the next day, even if somebody wasn't ready for the next lesson. And just that, you know, and I used to think, oh, if I could only hit pause, if I could, if I just would have had five more minutes with, with this kid, we could have gotten there. We, and then, and then everything, everything later could have been easier because we would have gotten X skill or, you know, Y fact down in my history classroom. And so when I, when I explained what I was doing, I would start with mastery base. I would say, you know, I want to be able to say that my students have mastered something. And if they, if, and mastery requires time. And it requires personalization. Kids, I, you know, I, my mom, public school teacher for 40 plus years would, you know, always say kids are not robots. They are, you know, they're vibrant human beings and they learn it different, you know, they learn differently. And, you know, a mastery-based classroom has to be a self-paced one. And well, how does that work? I'm one person. How do I facilitate self-pacing for 25 learners? I, I don't know how this works. And then for me, I would say, well, that's where the technology comes in. That's where the responsible leveraging of instructional videos, I can clone myself, I would say. And just that, you know, I, I don't play with ed tech for to play with it. I do it so I can then facilitate self-pacing, which supports mastery-based grading. That's right. I mean, in the end, we built this model to achieve the final frontier, which was mastery-based grading. It was built in a way to re-backwards engineer. How do you get to a point where you're actually investing time and energy in what kids 
know um, from what you've taught them and not just sort of some arbitrary random grade you generate a four out of 10 is always what I think of. Like, What does a four out of 10 literally mean? I have no clue. Um, so yeah, no, that's exactly right. So when you do partial implementation, I mean, anyone who's trying that right now, just keep in mind during the process, if you're going to sort of give up after just doing one element of a model, you gave up because you actually didn't see the full thing in its, in its best form. And you gave up for logical reason because you probably thought, well, why am I doing all this work for just this? So, you know, make sure that it's part of a longer journey of innovation and then you'll see the benefits over time. What I think we both agree on is the most powerful time still to learn, refine, and prepare for real launch is the summer. Um, the summer inevitably is an opportunity where educators can do what you just said, which is get a little restart, gather some energy, but then also think about a fresh new year um, and an opportunity to retell what teaching and learning can look like to students and then have them dive in and grow within that framework. So I'd love to hear from your perspective, like, you know, why we see the summer as such a powerful time and what what we hear from educators who learn this model over the summer. I think it's so funny how the idea of the traditional school calendar, it, it grew out of a very agricultural country, it grew out of a very rural country that, you know, kids needed, uh, you know, where the, the, the schedule of farming dictated the schedule of schools. And that is clearly not the case anymore. And that has oftentimes an argument to be made against the traditional school year. Uh, but I remember being, you know, let's say a friend who's not a teacher would, would pose that to me, this idea about, you know, oh, is summer necessary? And these concerns about learning loss, very, very real. Um, but I think one of the unexpected, unanticipated, you know, many years ago when public schools were creating their calendars for the first time, I don't think they thought about the teacher, but it summer provides this really you know, this, this, this flexibility and this time to rest and reflect and recharge. Uh, I, and I, I continue to believe, I know for me, it was, it was a game changer. I would, I would almost limp out of the building on the last day of school. Um, and I would, I would really need time to, to unplug. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, to kind of turn the page, of course, there were some students in all honesty. Yes, I was very, I confess I was relieved that our time together had ended, um, but there were also a majority of my students that I, I had to let them go, and, uh, and I, I needed that time. I just think that sheer factor of rest, we can't, we can't underestimate the importance of that enough, especially for educators. You know, we are we have so many different hats as teachers and we play so many roles um, for our students in the life of our schools and the life of our communities that just that opportunity to recharge is really, really important. And when we can, when we can have, you know, whatever that time is, I know teachers, it's a couple, it's, I don't know how they do it, but really it's a week, it's a week of recharging and they are good to go. You know, they're ready to start planning again. For me, it was much longer, um, but I think that we can be, we can ultimately be more productive and have greater clarity on our teaching practice um, when we've had some time to rest and recover. I 100% agree. And, you know, one thing that I think is also really important is this idea of competing interests. Like, 
never have I met a teacher who doesn't say they have too much on their plate and not enough time to do that. And that's most pronounced during the school year. So whether you want to learn the model during the school year or not, you have to accept the fact that there are going to be competing interests. And it might be an admin directive. It might be a challenge a student is facing. It might be something you're juggling at home because, you know, you have to take care of your kids and you have to, you know, stay in line with schedules and adding a couple hours of work a week just isn't literally possible. Um, And the benefit of the summer is you're not competing necessarily with an overwhelming amount of other interests or demands, but instead can say, look, you know, I'm going to devote five, six hours a week, maybe 10 hours a week to really thinking hard about this innovative approach. Um, I'm going to ease into it. I'm going to let my mind ruminate on some ideas, right? There's like a feeling sometimes when you're doing something during the school year that it's like, I got to figure this out tonight. And it's already like 8.30 p.m. And you got to wake up, you know, at 6 a.m. to get ready for school. Oh, yeah. The sheer number of decisions that teachers make every day is, is shocking. Right. I, I remember when I first moved to DC, um, that was not, I was, you know, going into my fourth year of teaching and I go to Ikea with my fiance and she kept telling me about how she had decision anxiety as we were trying to figure out which furniture to buy. And I looked at her and I was like, if you're having decision anxiety now, you've got to spend a day in the life of a classroom. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like a thousand decisions in an 80-minute period of time. Oh, so- yeah. I have something similar where uh, I remember watching the shift in me with my, you know, when friends would be like, well, what do we what do we want to do? Do we want to go to this restaurant? Or we could always do that. We could go to so-and-so's house. And I remember being like, all right, I want three ideas and I want us to narrow them down. You know, <laughs> like my mind was just teacher mode, like, how are we struggling to do this? I make so many decisions every day. So true. So, so true. And, you know, I mean, I think 2021 is a particularly unique summer because, I mean, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, this is actually the summer where folks are going to transition to some level of normalcy and in-person instruction with confidence. And if that does remain to be the case, you know, teachers are going to be looking forward and saying, okay, you know, thank God we're just coming back to classrooms, but also our students have been through a very, very unique experience for the last, you know, 12, 14, 15 months. And I, as an educator, have too. And how am I going to make this transition? And, you know, I talked in a previous episode about how we see this in many ways as sort of a, a, a time for us to really be a support system for the education landscape, because we have a model that is really designed to handle that moment when you go into the classroom and you have one student who's been suffering in really challenging ways for the last 14 months sitting next to another student who frankly just didn't have that hard of a time and has been able to master a lot of skills and can't treat those two kids the same. So, you know, this summer for anyone who's sort of intrigued by the Modern Classrooms Project is really a prime time um, to dig in and learn the model. And I'm really, really excited about what we have to offer. So Kate, do you want to talk a little bit about our big Modern Classrooms Project Summer Institute? I mean, you have been an integral uh, you know, player in planning this all out. So can you give the listeners sort of what we are offering this summer? I am really, really excited about this, actually. I'm really proud of what we're putting together. So we are planning a virtual summer institute and we're, you know, we'll empower educators to launch modern classrooms of their own. 
And we, you know, we'll take the virtual mentorship program that, you know, people, people know and continue to tell us that they love and add some extra supports to it um, to kind of give it, uh, I was describing it to, I was describing it to a friend as like, kind of think of modern classroom goes to camp, you know, <laughs> you know, it's an experience for educators to get even more out of our virtual mentorship program with, with some unique opportunities that I'll talk about in a minute. We're offering Virtual Summer Institute at three different points in the summer. So kind of three different sessions. Um, session one will be June 28th to July 23rd. Session two, July 12th to August 6th. And then session three, July 26th to August 20th. So as an educator, I could choose, you know, I know my family is going on vacation in August. I want, I want session one or my school gets out very late. I'm definitely going to opt for session two or three. And I really want to stress that even within, so there's not only the flexibility of choosing the session that's going to work best for, for you, but by no means is this a, you are logging on from nine to five every day, you know, by these very strict schedules. Um, I'm very, very proud that this is designed, much like our classrooms, to be self-paced, of course. And we really want to give teachers the, the flexibility that they deserve as professionals without sacrificing, you know, what we consider to be world-class professional development. So there's only, I would say, of the, of the 30 or so hours that go into completing this professional development, completing Virtual Summer Institute, I would say really three of them, three hours are synchronous. Three hours would be hey, you know, we have a session from this time to this time. That's really an integral part of Virtual Summer Institute. Otherwise, you know, teachers are going to be going through our virtual mentorship, meeting with their mentor. You know, when it's, when it's convenient for them, they can get that pool time in, they can get that cabin time in, definitely. And we'll do, uh, you know, all the benefits of the, of the virtual mentorship program, like I said. So, you know, you will have an, an experienced modern classroom educator and expert mentor to guide you through. You know, you'll be getting their expertise their feedback on your instructional videos, your mastery checks, other modern classroom materials. Um, But there's also benefits that don't usually come with the virtual mentorship program. And we're we're working really hard to craft those at the moment. So we'll have presentations, you know, three of them are, three of them are, you know, what we would consider, you know, more, more integral and very, very helpful to guide you through while we have, I think, nine or 10, actually, no, I think more than that. Go back and count. I think it's upwards of 10 different optional sessions that are content specific, that are, you know, specific to your learning management system, um, that are um, specific to grade levels, you know. So I think that, you know, I think that those optional sessions are really going to provide just experiences that are unique to the summer because we have the time and we can do it. Um, The other big perk, frankly, is we'll have office hours every day. So, you know, if you are really struggling and you need help right now and you don't have a meeting with your mentor, you know, you've got one scheduled for the end of the week, but you could really use some support right now every day from noon to five Eastern, there's going to be someone, an expert mentor on Zoom who can handle your questions. I, I was talking to an administrator today and just kind of, you know, discussing, you know, she was saying, oh, well, should I tell my teachers to jump in now? Should I tell my teachers to wait for summer? And the Virtual Summer Institute is really going to offer some flexibility options and just added perks that we, we can't 
do with the constraints of the school year. So we're really excited about it. I mean, I have never been this excited about a modern classrooms program and, and partially because of the scale. You know, we intend to train anywhere between 800 and 1,200 educators this summer across those three sessions. So in addition to sort of being able to learn this model in that asynchronous way with sort of live sessions and learning it over the course of four weeks and getting all the supports from both your mentor and subject-specific experts, folks are also going to be entering another large community of educators, right? Educators from across the country. At the moment, we've already received large commitments from schools and districts who want to send their teachers to the Summer Institute. You know, 100 teachers coming from one district, 30 coming from one school. Some educators are coming from Canada. Um, we have, you know, representation from every single state, every single grade level already. So it's going to be a really, really exciting time and an opportunity for folks to learn our model, hear from the best experts on the model, and then also work with each other right, across state lines in the virtual setting to really build an exciting community of modern classroom implementers. And, and folks who are listening, I mean, this is live. Um, it actually just went live. So you're probably learning it just as it's being released. And you can access it at modernclassrooms.org backslash summer dash institute. It's also under the section of what we do on our website. And folks can just register themselves. It's four ninety five to register for an educator. Um, so you can actually just register yourself. Um, you can reach out to your principal to kind of get funding so they can fund your way through the journey. And when you click on the options around individual enrollment, there's actually a form you can fill out and it'll generate a little invoice and a letter of support. So if you think you can get sort of a school leader to support you with that, you can. Um, and, you know, many schools and districts are reaching out to actually enroll cohorts of educators in the same way that we usually do. So they can send groups of educators through the program. There will be limited seats naturally. We've actually filled hundreds already, um, but there's still plenty left and I think some good time. So if folks are interested, you know, this is going to be the biggest modern classroom sort of training program we've done yet. We're really excited about it. Um, and we feel like we're serving an urgent need, which is to really empower educators with our instructional model in preparation for what will be um, classrooms with the most challenging diversity of learning levels and social, emotional, academic needs we've ever seen. Um, and we need to be prepared as a community and as a system uh, to meet those students' needs and not to sort of pretend like what has transpired didn't actually happen. Um, so I'm excited. You know, I've obviously been watching you, Kate, dig into the planning of this and you're brilliant facilitator of professional development and planner of professional development. So I can promise every listener on this call, it's going to be a well-organized and a well-run uh, institute. And, and I'm just excited to see the teachers dive in. I feel like I'm, I can't wait for summer to start already. Yeah, we're just, we're excited to, to, to learn from our teachers too. You know, I think the best part about working for the Modern Classrooms Project, I always tell people I get to be a sponge. <laughs> I get to learn what a teacher in Kansas is doing, and then I get to share it with a teacher in Pennsylvania the next day. And uh, I, I, I'm so excited just that we're going to be able to work with educators um, at this scale. Yeah, absolutely. If you have any questions, folks, about the Summer Institute, again, you can just access the page on the website. You can also just click on the Contact Us button on our website um, and just ask if you have any questions. If you're a school or district leader, there's a form you can fill out if you're interested in kind of creating a partnership to send a cohort of educators. Um, we're here to support, uh, you know, we're here to provide guidance in any way, shape or form that we can. Um, and we're just excited to continue to support educators. So definitely reach out if there's anything we can do. 
Uh, Kate, as usual, wonderful jumping on the podcast with you. This was a fun one. Always good to talk to you in a, you know, in a recorded formal way, friend. <laughs> I know. I know. It's as if we don't talk all day long <laughs> as colleagues, but it's a little different when we get to jump on the podcast and actually kind of just share our thoughts on what we're seeing day in and day out. So um, always good to chat. And everyone, remember, you can learn our model at the free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. We have our virtual mentorship. We have our brand new virtual summer institute that's live that you can learn more about. And if you haven't gone back to the free course, you should. Um, It's a new one. A lot of similar content, but with a lot of new tutorials and updates. And I re-recorded all the videos and had a lot of fun sort of digging back into that and sharing some new insights as we've sort of developed as an organization and learned from the educators implementing. So don't forget to check out those resources. Additionally, the Distinguished Modern Classroom Educator credential for folks who applied in December, you will be finding out at the end of January. And now we're accepting applications for that every month. So if you feel like you're implementing effectively and you want to get credentialed and get some cool swag and some lifetime subscriptions and potentially become a mentor, if you just apply by the end of the following month, you will find out if you have been granted the credential or if you need to do a revision. So don't forget about that. Um, other than that, wonderful. We're sharing our thoughts with everyone today. We'll be back at it next week. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.